0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community
1: Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting
0: others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We are uh, continuing, uh, following our continuing in a series that we're doing, walking through the book of Genesis. And a few weeks back, I said that uh, we're going to, uh, we had already kind of read about this and talked about it a little bit, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said, we're going to go back and talk about it in a little bit more detail, uh, because it deserves a little bit more attention, uh, because it speaks about the righteousness of God. Like this, this whole destruction thing, obviously it also speaks about the wrath of God. God's wrath is a very real thing, even though some people refuse to acknowledge that, you know, God is a God of wrath. They, they say he's just a God of love, but he says throughout his word, he is also, a god of justice wrath, but it also speaks about the patience of God. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to share a couple of facts about Sodom and Gomorrah because a lot of people don't even think it's real. Uh, There was a Greek historiographer, which in my mind is a historian, but I don't know, maybe that's the way they say it in Greece, a Greek historiographer named Strabo, uh, who went and did some historical research. And what he found, he lived during uh, the Roman Empire. So back in the Roman empire days, that's when he lived and he went and did some research and what he found was, uh, he said in his research that the locals at that time of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, he found writings and documents where they claimed that there were 13 cities in the area of which Sodom was the metropolis. So there are people who say, well, you know, this is one of the reasons why I don't believe the Bible, this whole Sodom and Gomorrah story, they didn't even exist, but, and, and to the best of my knowledge, and maybe you can research further he has never this greek researcher never professed to be a christian so it's not a christian person trying to you know back up documentation that the bible exists this is just a historian who went and did research on it and found that yeah there's i found writings that say you know the the people at that time agreed there were 13 cities of which sodom was the metropolis that's like if you can imagine hundreds of years from now uh, someone finding writings And they say, hey, I found writings about all these areas all around the city of Pittsburgh, but the city of Pittsburgh was the main metropolis, which we all know is true. It's the heart of this area, even though there are cities and counties and boroughs and all that stuff uh, all around that city. Uh, Now in 1976, uh, there was a studier of ancient writings. His name was, I hope I pronounced this right, Giovanni P. 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 I know, right? You read through the Bible and I can say all this. Uh, Giovanni Pettinato, okay, or Pete, 1976, um, and he studied ancient writings, and this is what he claimed. He claimed that he found a cuneiform tablet, uh, and let me make sure I have this right, in an area called Ibla, which is one of the earliest kingdoms in Syria, circa, you know, 3000 to 2500 BC. And he said that he found a cuneiform tablet and on that tablet, it contained the names, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, yeah, I can say that, Zeboim and Bela, and those, and he said he found them in exactly that order, just as they're written in Genesis chapter 14, verse two. So, uh, I mean, there's much more that you can find about people who, who archeologists and historians who went out and researched and, and they're not trying to back up the Bible. They're just doing their jobs of researching stuff. And they're finding that, yeah, there, there's very, there's no reason to doubt the existence of either Sodom or Gomorrah, and Gomorrah. Now, they're not saying they believe that, you know, God destroyed them. They're just saying that, yeah, as far as we know, these cities existed. And as far as their archaeological information can tell, those cities seem to have been destroyed suddenly and quickly. They're not saying it's God. They're just confirming uh, what the Bible says. Now, um, here's another fact. What is the most commonly reported reason for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody know? Was it? Sin? What? Everything. Sin. Yeah. This is amazing because every time in the past when I've done Bible studies or you research or you ask people online, they say Sexuality. Because that's what's what's captured in in that account. But everything that you guys said, sin, pretty much everything, those are the reasons for destruction. The whole sexuality part, sexual immorality, that was a minor part of why the city was destroyed. And some theologians, and I lean this way as well, say it wasn't even a reason, it was just something that was done that highlighted the sins of the city. And we looked at this um, a couple of weeks ago uh, where Genesis chapter 13, it said Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the Jordan Valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom and dwelt through it. But the men of Sodom were wicked and exceedingly great sinners against the Lord, right? Th- this is what angered God. It wasn't just that they were doing, you know, uh, uh, homosexuality or sexual immorality. It was the sin. And then if you look in the book of Ezekiel, he tells us in alarming detail what those sins were. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, he writes this, and Ezekiel is a prophet, in Ezekiel chapter 16, he writes, behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Now, he's writing this to the people of Israel. Uh, Pride, overabundance of food, prosperous ease, and idleness were hers and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And I'm gonna break this down a little bit because it's important. He says first of all this was the iniquity that word iniquity uh, also means you know we say the sins or the transgressions or the wrongdoings in the complete Jewish Bible version which I've used here many times it says crimes because from a Jewish perspective that's what was done they were breaking the law of God and it was both immoral and unethical things that they were doing that transgress God's moral law now. Ezekiel's writing to Jerusalem, but he says, this was the iniquity of your sister, Sodom. Because it, as we went through Genesis, we, we saw that uh, once um, Noah and his sons came off the ark, all of humanity, us included today, all came from the same place. So they were related. And and as, I don't know about you, but as I was reading and hearing all the news about the the, the whole the students walking out because of gun control, and like we said earlier, the whole Starbucks and the racial thing. Here's here's what what grips me. If you're not a Christian, and you hold to the belief that all humanity came from a single-celled amoeba, if you hold to that, which I'm not gonna fault you if you do, um, that means that all humanity came from where? Same place, right? we're related. If you are a Christian and you hold that all humanity came from Adam and Eve and then, once you know the flood came, came from the descendants of Noah, what does that mean? We're all what? Related. So I, I don't understand why even when we look at other people who look differently than us, or may act differently than us, or have different beliefs than us, why we treat each other with such hatred and such disdain when no matter what side of the aisle you're on, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or an atheist, every single worldview that you can imagine all holds that we all came from a single place, which means we're all related. And I hear stories about people that say, how many of you have uh, um, relatives from like somewhere in Europe, Italy, Germany, Poland, anywhere, any European relatives. People that go back and they're like, hey, I've never met these people, but I want to go meet these relatives who are totally different than me. You know, um, uh, uh, Christy's family, they're Italian, and some of her relatives went back to meet the non-English speaking, full-blown Italian relatives. Didn't look alike, didn't talk alike, couldn't even understand each other, but immediately, hey, we're related, nothing but love. That's the way humanity is supposed to be. That's not what was going on in Sodom. And it says one of the, the sins was also pride, which God hates pride. If you look at the Bible, very hard to find things that God says, I hate. One of the things over and over he says he hates is pride. And overabundance of food and prosperous ease. And this, this, this isn't in the Bible, but if you go and research on Sodom and Gomorrah, what you'll find is in the city of Sodom, they had created a law. That basically said if anyone comes through the town and they're not from Sodom then I as a citizen of Sodom have the right to go take whatever they have and make it mine in other words it was legal for me to rob you as long as you weren't a citizen of Sodom and what they would do is they would go rob people and take either their clothes but mostly their food which is why I was like I don't understand why it says overabundance of food but when you look at what they were doing they were taking food and if you go back and we are going to go back to one of the verses we read a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about the wars and all the different kings that came together and a lot got taken it says the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their what food Why did all these kings come against Sodom and Gomorrah and steal all their food? Because the people of Sodom and Gomorrah stole all the food from their people that were traveling through that area. And a lot of theologians believe that's what kind of led to the war. I can't say that for a fact, but they believe it. But from a biblical aspect, it makes sense. And from a Jewish standpoint, there was a law, and some of you may have read this as you read through the Bible, that said when someone comes through the town that they would stop and they would wait in the town center or by the town gates. And if you had space to put them up, like if Kevin's traveling and he would come and he would stop, he would stop at Century Three Mall, not for long, because that's going away, but he would stop at Century Three Mall, and if, if I'm driving by and I see Kevin out there with his bags, I'm like, oh, I know Kevin needs a place to stay, I have an extra room. I'm gonna go, hey, do you need a place to stay? How long? He says three days. I say, ah, I have someone coming in two days, uh, but then, you know, maybe Geneva drives. while well, she's related. Hopefully she put him up But maybe <laughs> Rob drives by and he says oh well, I, I you need a place to stay. how long three days? He says well I got a place for three or four days come and he picks him up and takes him to his house He has a place to stay not because they're related just because he knows you're a very human being and that's the way We should treat one another And what God is saying is hey you you weren't it's not just anyone this is your sister This is one of your related people And you were robbing them, and you weren't treating them well. And then he goes on and he says this. Ezekiel continues, and he says this. He says, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So it wasn't just that they had a law that they could take away from people who were passing through that weren't from Sodom. Even the people in Sodom that weren't willing to rob others, they weren't willing to help them. They weren't willing to, and it's not like, hey, I'm struggling too, so I can't help you. It's like, it, and he specifically says, A prosperous ease. I had more than enough. I was stealing from others, and I still wasn't even willing to say, hey, let me help out you, those who were from Sodom, And then he says, they were haughty, and they committed abominable offenses before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it, and I saw fit. And that's, that's what we're gonna take a look at because basically what, what uh, Ezekiel was saying is that God looked down and saw, that word abominable, it's the word abomination, it means disgusting, horrible, unethical things, and it wasn't just about having sex with different people. It was about having no regard for human life. It was about looking at someone else and saying, your life means nothing to me, so I'm gonna to do to you what I want, I'm gonna rape, pillage, plunder, beat, take whatever I want, because your life means nothing to me. And God said, no, that has to stop. And he says, you look at other people and have no regard for their life, so I'm going to come down, and, and, and I, we're going to talk about this when we get there, because some people uh, talk about the fact that God, you know, there's a book actually called out, because a lot of non-Christians, not just atheists, non-Christians say, well, God is a moral monster. Look at, and they use this as an example, God has killed more people than, if you count, you know, what the Bible says, than Satan ever has. But if you look at it this way, and and and, and I know I'm, I'm going off, off book here, but if you look at it this way, uh, if you were, let's say, the governor or mayor, mayor of a small town, and you're like a, hey, we want to, you know, you're, you're, you're all into pita, you're, you're a vegan, you're a vegetarian, you want to protect the animals, you want to protect the coastlines, you want to do all that stuff, which is great. But then a rabid pack of wolves comes in and starts attacking your people, dragging off babies, eating them, killing them, you know, grabbing, you know, innocent people as they're going to their cars. I'm not talking about on the outlines, just all throughout your town, you have a choice to make. Now, you want to save the animals because that's the right thing to do. They're just animals, so you want to take them and put them into a habitat where they can do that. But every time you send people to try to do that, those people get killed, destroyed, they get rabies. You know, there's all, all these diseases are flying around. So you've got a decision. And this is what many people do. They say, oh, we've got to put the pack of wolves down. And it's not an easy decision. And some people have had dogs that are, uh, are rabid. Some people have, have looked at animals that they've had to put down as an act of mercy. And this is what we say. We say, I am a, 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 a knowledgeable, loving human being. And I know, let's say, this horse that broke its leg is suffering or, or is going through something. So the, the, the gracious thing to do would be to end its suffering or I'm a uh, you know responsible, knowledgeable human being and although I, I, I wish these wolves weren't doing that, we've got to stop them because they're killing and, and, and babies and animals and attacking people, so you decide, hey, we've got to, you know the right thing to do to protect the people is to put them down. Now, if we as humans think we should do that to a lower, what we would say a lower level being an animal, then why are we surprised When God, who is so far above us, sees us doing that same thing, raping, pillaging, plundering people, forcing themselves not just sexually on other people, but also taking their lives in some cases. Why wouldn't we think, well, God's probably gonna do the same thing, which is exactly what he does. He does the exact same thing. Now, um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Genesis 18. We're going to kind of read through this quickly and kind of, uh, kind of. I don't want to shoot through it, but I, because I, I do want to pay attention to it. Uh, but read through this quickly and walk through uh, this entire account. In Genesis chapter 18 uh, which if you're using the Bibles we have down there it's like page 11 and there's one somewhere around you and if not just raise your hand we'll have someone bring one to you uh, in verse 8 uh, chapter 18 verse 1 it says the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby when he saw them he hurried from the entrance of his tent to them and bowed low to the ground now uh, first thing you gotta understand is that when it says verse 18 the Lord appeared to him excuse me it's using the word Yahweh or Jehovah what we would say as God this is God appearing to him but then when you go down drop down to verse 9 you're gonna see that it switches a word Uh, in verse 9 it says where is your wife Sarah they asked him this is the three men "They're in the tent he said then the Lord said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son this is God keeping his promise but the word that it uses for the Lord there some of your Bibles may say the Lord some of your Bibles may say he It's actually the Hebrew word for he It's not the same word Jehovah Yahweh, but they the the NIV and some of the other translations translate it into the word the Lord because it's God who is speaking and This is again what we call a theophany God coming down in human flesh appearing to him and he, and and from Uh, The perspective of Abraham, he appeared as three men, but Abraham knows that uh, one of these is God. Two of the others are angels. And if you drop over to verse 16, it talks about um, the whole Sodom and Gomorrah issue. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham? What I'm about to do, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him. And again, this is God speaking, not just an angelic being. This is God speaking for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, I will say this because it sounds like God's saying, hey, I'm hearing all these bad things, but I don't know that for sure. But we know that God knows all things because it says that in the Bible. We know that God knows the heart of men. And what a lot of theologians believe, and I believe this as well, that this isn't written because God didn't know. This is written so that we who are reading this would know how patient God is about doling out his wrath. Because if God wanted to, I mean, obviously, he knew what was going on. He could have just smited them. Is that a correct use of that word? Smited? Smitten? smote, smote. He could have destroyed them from heaven without even even coming down. But I think this is written so that we could see, and what you're going to see is over and over, and let me read through this quickly. The men turned away. They went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So the two angels went down. Abraham stands there, and then Abraham starts to plead and beg, and it's a word that we call interceding on behalf of Sodom before God. He approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And he acknowledges that this is God he's talking to. You're the judge of all the earth. But he says, God, are you really going to make the righteous pay for the sins of the wicked? And throughout the Bible, God says no. But there is a physical consequence when the wicked do something wrong that impacts the righteous. But he begins to intercede, and and he goes down and he goes down to 45 people. And eventually he gets down uh, in verse 32. He said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10? only 10 people could be found. And, and, and here's the thing, God says I won't destroy it if there are 10 righteous people. And here's the thing, uh, 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 it's hard to find if you look online uh, where there's someone given an exact number of how many people were in that city, because it was destroyed and there wasn't like a census bureau at that time saying, "Here's how many people lived here? But most people estimate on the time that it was and the size of the city and the area, it could have been anything from 2000 people, small city, to 10, 15, 20, or 50,000, we have no idea. But imagine just, let's say 10,000 people, which is not a huge city, because there's, I don't know how many in Jefferson Hills, somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people. So imagine 10,000 people. If there's 10,000 people, 10% of that is 1,000. 1% of that is 100. God says, I will spare this city if there is 0.1% of the people in that city who are righteous. I'll spare the city if there is just a handful of people who are willing to do the right thing, what is right in God's sight. God says, I will spare the city if there are people who are willing to acknowledge the sovereignty of the Lord and stand up. And admit it and as many of you know that wasn't the case that <laughs> the city was destroyed God didn't find ten people there the only people that made it out were lot and his family uh, and and even his daughters their their fiancés when lot tried to get them to come out they laughed at him and this is we've been talking about this all through Genesis because from the very beginning All God wanted was communities where his name is known and his righteousness prevails, because if there's a community where God's righteousness prevails, then you won't have people looking at one another and saying, you look different than me, you're a different color than me, you have a different background than me, and I hate you for it. If there are communities where God's righteousness prevailed, then you won't have people saying, I'm so angry at you and I hate you so much that I am going to make the decision that you no longer deserve to live and I'm going to take your life. And this morning, as we were uh, meeting with a praise team, I saw a notification came through about a shooting somewhere else at a Denny's or an IHOP, I forget where. Where somewhere else made the decision, someone else said, hey, for whatever reason, I've made the decision that these people I'm shooting at, whether I know them or not, because sometimes it's people they don't even know, they no longer deserve to live. And our society is moving in such a way where there are fewer and fewer righteous and more and more wicked and evil people. And God has promised in his word that my wrath is coming but God will always preserve the righteous uh, in the Psalms this is King David writing and he wrote this in Psalm 34 many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all he keeps all his bones not one of them is broken and David wrote this at a time where he was being hunted by another king And David is not saying that, hey, if you're a Christian, you're never going to have troubles. That's not what he's saying. Because he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And he was hunted. He was betrayed. He had his son hunt him down and chase him away from his kingdom to try to get the throne. He had many of his children kill some of his other children. He had the whole affair with Bathsheba thing. So he knows what it's like to deal with trials and struggles, even though you think, well, he had money and wealth. Yeah, that didn't stop his problems. But he had many afflictions. But he says the Lord still delivers him. And then he goes on and he says this. Afflictions will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Yeah, trials are going to come, struggles are going to come, but God just wants a few righteous people who are willing to stand up and say, hey, you want to God to redeem you, to hold you up during those trials? Then put your faith and your trust in him. And if you look throughout scripture, uh, it, going back to like we've discussed in Noah, whenever God unleashes his wrath, which whether you believe me or not, God's wrath is coming. I don't want to sound like the fire and brimstone guy, but God makes it clear that he is going to pour out his wrath I'm not talking about on the US as a nation. I'm talking about on the world But every time God has poured out his wrath He has preserved the righteous we talked about it with Noah's Ark how he preserved Noah and the Bible says in Hebrews that Noah was a preacher or a herald of righteousness Noah went out and tried to tell other people hey the wrath of God is coming, but only his family listened We just looked at it where, you know, Abraham interceded. Hey, God, if you find even just 10 righteous people, will you preserve the whole city? And God said, yes, I will. And in the end times, God is looking for, he's going to pour out his wrath. And I know people argue about this. Well, does that mean you're going to go through the rapture and the tribulation? That's a whole other discussion. But what we've seen is that God will preserve the righteous before he pours out his wrath. And Jude tells us this. Jude is the brother of Jesus who tells us this. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And what he's saying is, hey, th- he's talking to Christ for that we're supposed to have mercy on those who doubt. So those people that don't believe like you believe don't think like you think, hey, that's okay, I'm going to show you mercy. But on others, we're supposed to snatch them from the fire. The fire he's talking about is the eternal fire of of, of hell. We're not supposed to force our beliefs on other people, but if anyone shows interest, anyone has questions, anyone wants to, well, yeah, tell me more about that, then, yeah, when we go and share the gospel with them, we're saving them from an eternal destiny separated from God. And I love this verse because then he says to others show fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And what some translations say is uh, in that day, there was a garment that um, people who were diseased, who had contagious diseases that, that they had to wear so that others knew that, you know, hey, I should stay away from you. Some of them had to like walk through the streets and if they came into a crowd, they had to yell unclean, unclean. So people knew that they had a contagious disease, um, but there are, that doesn't necessarily that's because it says show mercy with fear. Yes, you could show fear of getting it. But what the, the, the other theologians believe is that there was a garment, and this is more controversial, so it's not as popular a theory. There was a garment uh, that the priests and priestesses of some of the houses of worship wore, not Christian houses, not Jewish houses, the houses where they did, for lack of a better term, all the children were downstairs. Yeah, sexual acts as an act of worship. And so the priest, and the priest would wear a robe during that sexual act, which would get sexual stuff on it. And they believe that that's what Jude was saying when he says, hating even the garment stained by flesh. He was alluding to, hey, even if I hate the things that you do, I'm still supposed to go and show mercy to you. And what Abraham did was focus on interceding with God for the righteous. Because he knew that God was there to wipe that city away. And what we are supposed to do is to intercede on behalf of the righteous. Because we know the wrath of God is coming. And it's not about saving them from a physical destruction, but eternal separation from God. We are supposed to do everything within our power to reach the lost. And I know I've gone long, but I'm going to ask Rob to come up because as you guys heard a couple of weeks ago, uh, there's this new, this new ministry uh, that he started. So I'm going to ask him to come up and share about that ministry because it's, it's about doing that very thing, going out to reach those who are lost, to intercede on the behalf of, of those who don't know God, on those who who, who who are at risk for eternal separation from God.
1: All right, guys. Hey, thanks a lot for letting me have time to speak. Um, Pastor Floyd as well. Um, I'm not going to keep you. I, I, I did order pizza, so if you guys want to stay. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, anyhow, I, I just want to give you a little insight on what God laid on my heart. Um, and this has been years. Of course, you guys know that I've I've rode in this ridden grammar grammar's not good for me um, this roller coaster of my addictions, but yet I've been a Christian through the whole time, you know. No, it's okay, you know that's it's. Hi, I'm sorry. Anyway, so um, Pastor, would you hand these out? All yeah. right, Okay. Anyhow, um, what these are. It's just a mission statement of, uh, of what we're... Uh, can I have one? Did that be asking too much? Thanks. And uh, what this is is a, a mission statement of... Uh, and uh, if you could, everybody just pass these around. Just pass the bu- Take the bucket. Pass them around, everyone. Take one. All right. And what... Um, just so uh, people out in Facebook land know what we're doing... I handed out a, a, a nail, just a regular old 10-penny nail. Correct me if I'm wrong, it might not be a 10-penny nail, but it's a nail. Um, and what it is, is just a symbol. You know, I've been uh, thinking about this ministry for a while. I've been working with other pastors of motorcycle ministries here in uh, not just Pittsburgh, but in um, other parts of the country, that this has really become prevalent because I do believe God, God brings us all different ways to come see, to see, to see God, you know, um, prime example. I was, uh, I, this past week I had to go to um, McKee's Rocks uh, to pick up the, the, uh, the piano that has been do- graciously donated to this church. Um, you'll see this in a couple weeks once it gets done out of the shop. But um, it said McKee's Rocks. So, you know, I know how to get to McKees Rocks. So I went to down to Southside and I was gonna just shoot through Southside and go forever and till I get to where I need to be. Well, GPS was telling me you need to go across the Birmingham Bridge and into the city, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, that's that's not the way to go. But I trusted the GPS, lived on faith, and it took me down, down that, down the parkway, through the tubes, all the way up towards the airport, and I'm sitting there a second, this isn't right, and then it, it turned out, ended up being like Robinson Township that butts right up against McKee's Rocks, so it's a mail, McKee's Rocks mailing address, but it's, when I got there, it was a $500,000 home, you know, it was, it was insane, not typical McKee's Rocks, not to say anything bad about McKee's Rocks, but, but needless, pardon? The bar. The bar. Well, it was, it basically, it It made me live on faith and trust GPS, which, you know, guys, here in Pittsburgh, wait five minutes, that GPS is going to change because of road construction. It's going to happen. But it really made me feel like God, how you get to know God doesn't necessarily have to be what everybody gets to know God. And I've come to realize with, with this motorcycle ministry, there is a lot of people that are broken, and they may be disabled veterans. They may be um, uh, they they may be alcoholics. They may be um, homeless, and this isn't just motorcyclists. These are people that we can reach. See, I want to be able to go into places that most people won't go into, into a, into a bar, and I know I have I, I'm an alcoholic and I have issues with that, but I know I can't take the first drink, and that's okay, but. Be able to visit and, and just plant a seed. It's really what I want to do, is plant a seed. Be able to just let them know that there is hope, you know, from being in jail, as I have been. Being able to um, it, having troubles with the law. There's changes. We look different. We have tattoos. We, I, my, my, I'm in a, a motorcycle club, sorry, a service organization, that is um, called Mon valley a beat and we we educate people about motorcycle safety well there's a few of us in that chapter that are christians i mean that's it's understandable and but when we all walk in and we get off our bikes and we're dirty and we may have chaps on or whatever and they see us coming in people move away and they don't want to they don't want to talk to us they just worry about you know oh my gosh don't, don't look at that person and it's just human nature but when they sit there and they 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 see there's only three of us that did it at these times, we'll stop before we eat and we'll pray. And they're like, whoa, you know, not understanding, you know, and literally, and, and, and it's, so then their guard is let down a little bit. So I basically want to be able to get out there and just minister to people, whether it is homeless, whether it is, Whatever whatever type of people need to be ministered to and not be think about the flesh, because God doesn't see me like this, you know. God sees me like He sees you, sees like everybody, we're perfect. You know? The the tattoos I have happen to be Christian tattoos, which whenever I roll up to a red light and I'm sitting there on the bike and it's going like they might they might look over and, and see the the tattoo of, of Jesus on my shoulder, or the word salvation in five 5 inch letters across my back and ask a question about it. So I get a chance to visit with them and plant a seed right there. Then we roll off and go our different ways. So the nail itself I, I gave you guys was just a symbol, something that you can take home with you, something that you can sit there and I'll tell you what, I challenge every one of you, starting today till next Sunday, go up to somebody that you don't even know. And I don't mean literally go up to them. I mean. Walk past them in the middle of the street and just smile at them. Or just say good morning to them. Because that might be the only nice thing they get to hear that whole day. And then when you come home, look at that nail and remember what you what that little interaction. Now, that interaction might not be a good interaction because they may, may look at you like, who's this crazy person? But even if it isn't, you're planting a seed. You're making them feel better about themselves. And see how each day you might do it to two people in a couple days or three people, because I mean I've had people and I've walked into restaurants and in, in, in the morning and uh, and I'll say good morning to them and and they'll and they'll be like ar, ar, you know whatever and then when I'm standing in line getting my get my bagels, you know I just say you know they say you have an okay day you all right and then they start to spill, they just wanted to vent they wanted to talk to somebody and. Uh, if I can help just that little bit, just that little bit. And that's really all I'm trying to do. And I think that's all we all, all want to have done. Sometimes we're on the recipient side of it. We just want someone to listen to us. So pretty much that's where I'm working with this. Um, you're wondering about all these props. The ministers that I've been working with the online, and that's another thing. You guys might not be aware. I am going to school to become a minister. It looks like I'll be able to be ordained in this coming January. So that's what I'm looking at. And that's because of you guys. And I'll tell you why. Because you accepted me back after all the falls I've had. And that's the true meaning is loving us unconditionally. And you know what? I wouldn't be standing here right now doing this without you guys. And I truly thank you for that. But the pastors that I've been working with, they told me literally, they said, I said, I'm nervous about getting up here and speaking with people. And they said everybody is when they get started. He said, take something up there that calms you down. Like Pastor has his, his, his fork up here, you know, and it's, it reminds him of a situation, you know. As crazy as it sounds, and as a biker, this knife, which was never nice and pretty like this. It was dirty and had an old sheath. One of the brothers that I have in my chapter made me a brand new sheath, you know, just, just, just and cleaned it up. Now, granted, I will never carry this thing. You know, I mean, seriously, it'll pull my pants down if nothing else. And I, I have no need to, but it's a symbol. It's a symbol that gives, reminds me that basically, I, I don't know where in the Bible it says, but it does say where, where oh, where um, David slew, slew, slew uh, Goliath, you know? And he says after doing that, he went in and took all his, all his armor from the storehouses. Well, this settles me. You know, if I start to get nervous, I just look at it. You know, so if you wonder about all the props, you know, it's not like I'm worried about somebody coming in to do anything. Because honestly, I don't know if I could wield this. But, but neither here nor there. Um, that's that's a little bit about Nails of I Am. It's a motorcycle ministry that is just getting started. Uh, I ask just for prayers. I really would appreciate it, because honestly, we're not a biker club or a biker gang. We just want to get out there and talk to people, try and people of different philosophies you know because there are good people out there that just have lost their way and they that's pretty much what we want to do i mean jesus went out there and found people he didn't wait for them to come to him and that's what come to him and that's what we want to do now being new at this i'm tending to speak so fast because i'm nervous and stuff and i'm i'll get better at it and i brought the chair up because originally i was just going to sit down but you know you know things go but again Thanks a lot for everything you guys have done for us. I pray ask for prayer. And and, uh, Pastor Floyd, thanks for letting me share.
0: So we've we've run out of time. But here's what I'm going to do. We're not going to sing. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Uh, I'm going to ask Lori to come up. She's like, what in the ham sandwich? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I'm going to do, yeah, come up here, is ask... uh, the praise team we want to pray for you guys as you kind of launch this ministry out yeah come back back, uh, right up here right up here yeah so you guys
1: are front
0: and center Um, but before we yeah you guys come up here before we pray for them I'm going to say one thing I'm going to take a snapshot of that picture of you holding the knife, and that's going to be my new profile pic, that's just awesome. Okay, Okay, all right, uh, but I'm going to ask you guys to come up, and we're just going to pray for them, pray for this ministry, and just uh, ask you guys to bow your heads and join us. God, we just lift up um, both Lori and Rob to you. Uh, We pray first and foremost for them. We praise you for bringing them into our church family, uh, and as we've been preaching about, and that we are all now brothers and sisters related, connected through your Holy Spirit. Uh, So we pray for them. We pray for their marriage. We pray for this ministry. We pray for the passion that you have given them to go out and to reach the lost. And we pray that you would give them every resource needed, every human resource, every financial resource, that you would remove any roadblocks, any walls, anything in their way. that you would bring them into the paths of the people that as rob shared most people will look at and move away from most people will look at and run from but we pray that you would give them a direct path to those people to share your love with them to share your grace with them to show them the love of christ the same love that they have received from you we pray that you would allow them to be fruitful and successful we pray this in the name of your son Jesus Christ. And everyone said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. Amen.